welcome to season two of the Visceral Voice podcast. I'm your host, Christine Schneider. Every week on this podcast, I talk with voice specialists, manual therapists, health specialists, psychotherapists, movement practitioners, and professional voice users about voice science, function, medication, movement, puberty, and aging, and everything in between. I am on a quest not only to become a better manual therapist, but also to learn everything I can about the living, breathing body and its intricate connection to the voice. This podcast documents the continuation of my learning and my experience as a professional singer, a nutritional consultant, and a manual therapist. Join me every week as we strive to provide current, knowledgeable, creative, and compassionate information to help restore, regain, and create happiness and success on your vocal journey. Casey is currently starring in her sixth Broadway show, originating the role of Elsa in Disney's blockbuster hit Frozen. She recreated the iconic role of Fontaine in the 2014 revival of Les Miserables on Broadway, and is known to New York and London audiences for originating the roles of Molly and Ghost and Sheila in the Tony Award-winning revival of Hair. Miss Levy's other Broadway credits include Elphaba in the Broadway and Los Angeles production of Wicked, Penny in the Broadway First National Tour and Toronto companies of Hairspray, and Maureen in the National Tour of Rent. Off-Broadway, she played Patty Davis and Julie Nixon in the world premiere of Michael John LeCuse's First Daughter Suite at the Public Theater, and Sarah in the off-Broadway production of Murder Ballad. In concert, she headlined Carnegie Hall with the New York Pops, backed up Sir Rod Stewart during his Las Vegas residency, guested with the United States Military Academy at West Point, and performed solo shows to sold-out audiences across the U.S. and the U.K. Recordings include Frozen, Ghost, Hair, First Daughter Suite, and over 20 singer-songwriters albums, including her own EP, With You, available everywhere. For those of you who don't know Casey, she is not only one of the most extraordinary Broadway performers of our time, she is also one of the most humble, genuine, and kind actors you can work with in today's music theater. I am continuously inspired by Casey, and I am thrilled to bring you this episode today with Casey Levy. Hi, Casey. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. You are in the midst of a chaotic schedule with concerts and your Broadway show Frozen and being a mom. So thank (laughs) you for taking the time to also do a podcast recording, which I know is also using your voice. So thank you. All good. It's my pleasure. So you're not only a Broadway performer, although you are among the best of the Broadway performers, you're incredible. You also perform all over the U.S. and the U.K. singing solo shows and headlining with popular symphonies and orchestras. Can you talk to us a bit about how your preparation for an orchestral job differs from preparing for a full-length musical? Well, it's really a different venue and a different set of challenges. You know, with performing in a Broadway musical, we've had a rehearsal process that's a month long usually, and then a few weeks of tech, and we're up and running and sort of working as a team every single day, eight shows a week. And with a symphony gig, it's usually a one-off thing. It's the first time I'm often singing with that orchestra and working with that conductor. 
and oftentimes the first time in the venue as well. Mm-hmm. And that requires me traveling to the orchestra in whatever city it's in. So it's it's a lot of like solo prep and emails with the conductor, the bookers at the venue, the music directors, and sort of kind of getting on the same page about what music we're doing and what charts we're using and the right keys and all of that. And then it's me learning it on my own and showing up to the city and the venue for a sound check the day of, or sometimes the day before, and getting to rehearse a little bit with the orchestra prior to the to the concert. Wow. Okay. So I was about to ask how the rehearsal process differs. So you just show up for a sound check, and you have a tiny, short rehearsal, and then you go? Oftentimes, yes. Also, it can happen the day before, especially when I'm traveling to a venue to perform. So I'll meet with the conductor usually the day before and we'll have a session together. And then it will be the day of that I first meet the orchestra and get to sing with them. Yes. Mm. And do you choose the music together or do you get to choose the music? It sort of depends. My very first, hilariously, my first symphony gig Actually, it wasn't my first. It was my second. But I first sang with the United States Military Academy back in 2008. And that was sort of a hybrid of songs of my choosing from my Broadway career and things that their orchestra had in their repertoire. But my first time recently, it was at Carnegie Hall with the New York Pops. So that was sort of like my first major, major, major symphony gig. And of course, it was at Carnegie Hall, like no pressure. And that whole evening was in celebration of John Kander's 90th birthday. Mm. So the Pops had asked me to do an evening of Kander and Ep music exclusively with Tony Yazbek. And so that was very much them saying, what songs from their catalog do you love? Are you interested in performing? Here are the ones that we definitely want to have in the program. And so it was very collaborative, sort of back and forth, deciding what songs to choose. But that was, you know, a themed evening. Whereas I just performed in Ocean City. And that was a little bit more of like, oh, here are some songs I love to sing. Can we get the right charts and keys for these old standards? And then they said, great, of course. So it's oftentimes a conversation with the venue and with the conductor. Mm. And how do you prepare your voice for doing concert gigs on top of performing in a long run? How do you do that at the same time? Yeah, it's a challenge. It's In some ways, it's easier doing these concert gigs while I'm doing a long run because my voice is used to being used strenuously eight shows a week. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's sort of like at tip-top shape, even though I'm exhausted in general. My voice is often in really... Um, in a really good place, barring you know any sort of illness, which is bound to happen, especially when you're getting on a flight. But I find it is a little bit more in the pocket when I'm working eight shows a week. So I enjoy that. It's it's definitely strenuous, and so it requires a lot of sleep and a lot of voice care, a lot of vitamins, and eating healthy and silence when I'm not rehearsing and when I'm not doing the show. It's kind of boring, but those are sort of my go-to things to preserve my voice, whether I'm doing concert work or, or performing on Broadway. Yeah. So you have had several successful long runs of shows from Wicked to Ghost to Frozen, which you're currently performing Elsa. Yeah. How many long runs have you done? It's funny. I was thinking about this a lot, mostly long runs, actually, because I did... I think Frozen is the longest run I've done in a single company in a single show because it'll be three years in February from the time that I did the lab to then going out of town for the out-of-town tryout to then bringing it to Broadway. But 
Ghost was similarly almost as long, actually, but we were first in Manchester and then London and then New York. And my run with Hairspray was also a really long run, almost three years, because I did the Toronto production, then I did the national tour, and then I came to Broadway with it. So I tend to sort of stick with shows for a while, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but Frozen's definitely the longest in one single company that I've done a show. How does preparing for an open-end long run differ from preparation for a limited run? It's more of a mental game, I find, yeah. with a long run. It's sort of like remembering that it's a marathon, not a sprint, mm. and that you're going to be hopefully doing this show for a very long time, a year or two or three. And so it's preparing your voice and your body, but it's also kind of getting your head in the game of keeping it fresh and keeping yourself challenged and committed to the part and to the company, knowing that it's going to be quite a long time that you're with the show. And I mostly thrive with a little bit of routine in that way. So I do tend to enjoy a long run. I like the welcoming new company members and saying farewell to current company members. I like that transition. I find that really meaningful, the relationships that you build over the course of a long run Mm. and working with the crew um, and the stage management team. Like those are relationships that really make a long run feel fresh all the time. And I love being on Broadway. And when you're lucky enough to be in a show that has an audience that keeps on running, it's there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic to be able to walk into a Broadway theater as your daily gig. And it's never really lost on me how lucky I am that I get to do that. Mm. What would your advice be to performers who are newer to the industry that have not yet had the opportunity to perform in a long run? Mm. I have a lot of advice that I give young people. My main one is to be kind and be open and to say yes as much as possible. When you're starting out in the business, as you well know from your career as well, it's a lot of getting asked to sing for free or workshop a new composer's song or do a little bit of recording for a drink ticket or whatever the case may be. And I always say when you're starting, it's a great thing to do those things Mm -hmm. and to build a community and to go support people that you met in the audition line in their concert and just try to meet people and have fun doing it, you know, and not get so caught up in this idea of having to like land a Broadway show right away because most people, that's not how it happens for them. I think this day and age, Broadway is very, very focused on young stories. And I certainly have benefited from that in my career. A lot of the roles I've played have been like contemporary, edgier, sexier shows. And the parts were there for someone my age. And I know now with shows like Mean Girls and The Prom, and I'm trying to think of some of the other, there's so many youthful shows on Broadway. And so I think there is a misconception that you should be graduating and landing a Broadway show. And you just have to have a little more patience than that. And I think there's so much exciting work happening off Broadway and regionally that people need to remember that that's how you cut your teeth. That's how you learn. And like I did a non-equity tour. That was my first job out of college. I was Maureen on the national tour of Rent. And I really learned what it meant to be in a long run. I think I did it for about nine months. I was on a bus and truck tour, traveling all day on a bus with my company members, showing up in some random city and throwing our stuff in a hotel room, doing a one-nighter in that city and getting on the bus the next morning at 6 a.m. and driving another eight hours to the next city. Mm. But it allowed me to like, first of all, it was thrilling. It was Rent. It was the show I grew up worshiping. (laughs) But also it was like a great way to learn my limits and my body and get to meet people who are still, I consider them still my family. 
and learn what it meant to be part of a company. And I think that's the main thing young people should kind of aim for is like, take the understudy job, you know, learn how to be a cover, learn how to be in the ensemble. Not everybody's meant to be the leading role right away. And I'm someone who totally worked my way up. I was not, aside from getting Maureen and Rent, it being a, a, a non-equity tour that was very not glamorous, <laughs> um, I definitely was in the ensemble and worked my way up in the business and persevered and stuck around and kept learning. And I think that's why I've been successful. So it's about, you know, being kind, being humble, listening more than talking and getting on stage, just getting experience. Yeah. What are three things that you wish everyone knew about what it was like to perform in a long run? Hmm, three things I wish everyone knew. I wish they knew that even on the days you're tired, once the show starts, it still feels unbelievably joyful to be on stage in front of a Broadway audience. Mm. I wish they knew just how hard everybody's working backstage, that it's not just about the people they see on stage in the spotlight singing, that it takes a village and an army of people backstage, underneath the stage, the orchestra, the crew, the dressers, the hair team, the wardrobe team to pull it off. Mm. And I wish they knew about a long run that you have to be patient with yourself and you have to be kind to yourself and that not every day feels perfect and some days you think, what am I even doing this for? Am I any good at this? Even when you have the luxury of being in a Broadway show, that you'll have days where you feel crappy and you feel less than, and that that's normal, that that's how everybody feels in the world every now and then, and to just be kind to yourself and realize it'll pass. Mm. Those are great. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so it's always fascinating to me and looking behind the scenes and seeing what actors go through to make the magic happen on stage. Mm -hmm. Can you discuss some of the things that you and your body have been through that the audience may not know about? Oh, yes. I have so <laughs> many ailments, as do all Broadway performers. You know, we're really athletes and we have a team of most of us have a team of people that help keep us able to perform. So you are one of those people for me when I come and get a vocal massage from you. <laughs> that always sort of gives me a reset, like a clean slate almost. And just kind of, um, it's it's meditative for me as well as the fact that I know that it's actually beneficial muscularly. It's also really great for my mental state to come and see you and get a tune-up in that way. Mm. Um, but I get physical therapy five days a week because I have back issues from the weight of my costumes and how much I run in them. I have about 40 pounds of costuming on me at any given time in the show. And um, it affects how I breathe, how I move, how I sing, how I phonate, everything. So I'm constantly in PT to get my back tweaked and my neck uh, loosened up, my traps and my shoulders and my neck muscles, my SEMs. All of them are pretty locked up. So that's part of my team. And then, I, of course, I go to voice lessons every single week and I see – my dear, wonderful Liz Kaplan, who, similar to you, is sort of like a, is, is a technical helper as far as my voice goes, but also like rebalances me and centers me and allows me to kind of have a check-in emotionally. Uh, you know, a voice teacher can really be like a therapist in a lot of ways. And um, she's just a great friend. And so she's, she's a touchstone for me as well. And a lot of massage as well. So <laughs> it takes a lot physically to get on stage every day in the long run. And it takes like a commitment to that kind of maintenance in order to do it. 
Yeah. And you, you mentioned that your costumes in Frozen are 40 pounds, which yeah. is just so intense. Yeah. Are, are there other things from other shows that, whether it's shoes or costumes or just mm-hmm. things that people may not know about or recognize? That make it challenging? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, definitely shoes for me are a big thing. I think that high heels also sort of change the pitch of your body. Or like, for instance, like Wicked on Broadway, they still have a raked stage, which is crazy. So every single dancer and actor and singer on that stage has their body in a bizarre situation (laughs) while they're trying to tell the story. And same goes for the crew, of course, because backstage is also slanted. So it's, it's really tricky at Wicked for that. All the alphabas, I'm sure people do know about this by now, but the contraption you stand on when you're singing Defying Gravity is a very small space for your feet to go. So you can't really like bear down, which does change how you sing those notes as well. You have to find power in your body without really having access to your legs and your feet in the way that you normally would. But if people come and see Frozen or have seen me in other shows, I do it more in Frozen because I'm able to with the physicality of the character and the fact that I'm playing the sort of like larger than life magical human, but um, I use my body a lot when I'm singing and I do like bend into notes and I do use my legs and my butt and my stomach in a way that allows me to access a lot of power in a healthy way without forcing sound from my neck and my throat. So that's something people can can look out for is like the physicality involved in singing because it really is athletic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to my signature questions. So what is your favorite quote? Oh, gosh. I don't know that I have one. Isn't that lame? Um, (laughs) I don't have one. I can't even answer that. How sad. I'll have to find one and make it my favorite quote. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. (laughs) What are your favorite song lyrics? Oh, gosh. That is a hard question. That's like choosing your favorite child. <laughs> mm. I always loved, so my earliest memory of singing is my dad singing me to sleep. And that's how I learned how to harmonize. And um, it was sort of like a tradition we had a few nights a week because he uh, he's a recently retired family doctor and he worked crazy hours when I was a kid. So sometimes I was in bed before he would get home, but he would come in and we would just like sing together. And we sang a lot of old standards. And one was that song, you think I know the name of it. I think it's called Count Your Blessings. Maybe not. It's um, when you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. I love that song. And I, I think that's a nice uh, sentiment to kind of carry through life just to remember to, to count your blessings. Mm, that's brilliant. Who influenced your performing the most? Oh. I mean, offstage, my parents, for sure. They're like my biggest supporters. And my brothers, who are six and seven years older than me, and they were doing theater when I was a kid, and so I just wanted to do whatever they were doing. <laughs> so I don't know that I would have ended up in theater had they not been in theater as well. It's oh. kind of weird to think about where my life would be if I hadn't had been chasing them and chasing their coolness all those years ago. <laughs> but, um, but them and my parents have been my number one champion supporters there at every show every opening took me to theater when I was a kid and was interested in it and always supported me through the risky decisions and the scary decisions I've had to make and definitely definitely them my family mm-hmm. yeah what is something new about the voice that you learned this week mm. 
Well, I, this is something about the voice and something about being a mom sort of rolled into one. I'm continually learning that my voice is capable of more than I think on less rest than I than is ideal. The voice is a really strong little muscle. I think that because it's my instrument, all of us singers out there can relate probably we're really protective of it and we should be. But it's also capable of more than we think. And I think oftentimes with me anyways – my own worries about my vocal health or how I'm feeling that day or if I got enough rest will actually um, manifest that into reality as opposed to just allowing my voice to do what it's trained to do, to do what it's meant to do and to not manhandle it, to just sort of like remember on those days when I'm super, super tired from being a mom of a three-year-old and doing eight shows a week as Elsa that most of the time I'm going to get out there and if I don't push and if I don't try to um, manipulate my voice, it's going to do what I need it to do, that it's strong enough. Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing you have on your bucket list? Life-wise, I would really like to go spend a chunk of time in Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. That is something I would really, really like to do. I've never been over there. Hard to imagine how you would ever have the right amount of time to go, but it would be really, really great to do that. Mm -hmm. What are you currently learning? Oh, every day I'm learning things. <laughs> <laughs> Any hobby or anything that you're working on? I wish I had a hobby. <laughs> this has been a point of contention with my husband for going on 12 years where he's like, you really need a hobby because you are so career obsessed. But my career is my hobby. I love singing. I love making music. So it's hard for me to, to spare time to do other things. But I'll tell you, I really love riding my bike and I never do it enough. And I really like playing tennis and basketball and I never do those enough either. So that's sort of my resolution for the fall is to like when I go to the gym to spend 20 minutes at the back end just shooting hoops a little bit because it always makes me really happy. Mm. <laughs> what do you wish that you would have learned sooner? Uh, that it's okay to not be perfect. I think when I was starting out until very recently, I was so consumed with doing the right thing, saying the right thing, being perfect on stage, being perfect off stage, not angering anybody, you know, being all things to all people all the time. And then I was just totally depleted. So I wish that I had learned sooner that it's okay to be a bit of a mess because everyone is a bit of a mess. And <laughs> the sooner you own your mess and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, the less, the less pain and the less stress you have day to day. Yeah. Casey, thank you so much for <laughs> joining me today. I know you have to go and pick up your little one. I do want to say that it takes a very courageous person to step up and help to create change. And you have been an incredible inspiration and a light for all professional voice users, but certainly those who have suffered a vocal injury. You've opened up and told your story on social media as well as podcasts such as The Ensemblist. Thank you on behalf of all those in the Broadway community. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for who you are, for your honesty, your vulnerability, mm. your courage, your support, your kindness. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here and thank you for who you are. <laughs> thank you. Gosh. Yeah, me too. I think it's so important that we talk about our vocal injuries. And I guess we could have a whole other conversation about that another day. But I'm, I'm really happy that people are starting to speak up about it because it's not something to be ashamed of. And it's part of, um, you know, it's a hazard of our job, of our amazing, awesome jobs. And yeah, I'm really happy that it's being discussed now. Yeah. So my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues, your students, and your friends. 
please subscribe, rate us, and write a review. You can find us on Facebook at Life Light Massage, or you can check out my website at lifelightmassage.com. Please join me next week for another wonderful conversation on The Visceral Voice.